going to take from John 11 chapter, verse 35. Even though it's a very short passage, the shortest in the entire Bible, yet it's so powerful. Jesus wept. If you have your Bibles, give your Bibles, you can open them up there to John chapter 11 and keep them opened up there to John chapter 11. We'll spend most of our time in that text this morning. Uh, before we get into the lesson, though, I do have a couple things that I want us to make be, be aware of. Uh, I don't know if it got mentioned that Miss Tanya Stewart uh, is in the hospital over in Selmer, and uh, we want to be sure to continue to pray for Tanya. And her and Herb have had a, a lot on them. Uh, Miss Lucille Rainey had surgery this last week, and so uh, a lot of burdens on, on those families, and definitely requesting our prayers. Um, in two weeks, right, Dustin? In two weeks on Sunday night, uh, we are, along with the Walnut Grove congregation, uh, hosting the Area Wide Youth Series. But we're going to do it a little bit different th th this year. Uh, we're going to host with them at the Horse Creek area where we generally have our, our annual get-together. Uh, and there will be young people from all over the area. Uh, there will also be uh, adults from Walnut Grove and from here. Anyone is welcome to go. Matter of fact, the more of you that want to go, probably the better. But we need to know who's going to go. Um, uh, Dustin is paying for everything, and he didn't want to buy too much. So if you want to go to Horse Creek in two weeks, if you could do them a great favor and just be sure to sign up uh, as soon as possible. Um, also, two weeks after that, I think on September the 10th, uh, a group of some of the manliest men in this congregation, uh, not all the manliest men, because Greg and I, I don't think, are going, uh, but some of the manliest men in this congregation are going to be going down to Haiti, and they're going to be doing some work down there. And just want to give you a little preview that Jonathan is going to take a few moments tonight. You knew about this, Jonathan? Uh, I said that once, and the guy said, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Jonathan is going to be giving us a little preview tonight of what they're going to be doing, uh, and probably just like five or ten minutes, and he'll, he'll do that this evening. So be sure that you're here tonight for that. Now, to our text here in John chapter 11, it, it's... It's probably one of the better known passages of Scripture in all the Bible because whenever we were little kids and your Bible class teacher said, you have to memorize the Scripture, right? We don't do that with adults. We just do that with the little kids. You've got to memorize the Scripture. Eddie said, I got mine, right? Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, and it's a powerful verse, as Roy said, but it's a verse that, that, that comes to us within a very real context of the life of Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about this year. Let's talk about the life of Jesus. Jesus has been in Jerusalem, right? And He made several trips to, to Jerusalem, probably three or four during the course of His ministry. But a lot of times when Jesus went, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, it ended badly. And this was the time that it ended badly. And you can go back and read in John chapter 10 about how Jesus was basically making the case that He was divine. And He was telling the people He is God in the flesh. Well, they didn't like that. Ultimately, that, that's what they're going to crucify Him for because they said he's, he's a blasphemer. And so Jesus and all of His disciples, they're forced to get out of town. They're forced to go out into the wilderness. They, they, they go out, John chapter 11 at the beginning says that, 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 that they went out into the wilderness. And, the, and in chapter 11, it picks up telling us 
about this man named Lazarus. There was a certain man who was sick. Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was, it was Mary. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with oil and, and anointed His feet with her hair, whose brother, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Jesus had been there before, right? Jesus had, had spent time in their home. There was a, a relationship that, that was going on there. And so the sisters, when their brother was sick, and apparently he was, he was deadly sick, he had something really bad wrong with him. The sisters therefore sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. You ever got that call before? About somebody that you love? When you realize for the first time, maybe you're sitting in a doctor's office, maybe your phone rings, maybe somebody comes over to your house and they says, we, we need to talk. The one whom you love, not, not just this guy, we all have guys and gals and people that have... This is one that you love. This is somebody you have a relationship with. This is someone that you've spent a lot... He's, he's sick. And you know why I'm calling you, don't you? Because you can do something about it. Most of the time when, when, when people call, call us, we, we can't do anything about it. Jesus could do something about it. He had done something about it. He had healed people. He had brought, he had brought sight to the blind. He, he had made lame men walk. The one whom you love is sick. And Jesus says something really curious, really curious in verse 4. The Bible says, when Jesus heard it, He said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, we know the end of this story, don't we? You remember what happens to Lazarus? What happens? He dies. I mean, gee, Lazarus dies. He is, goes to the tomb for four days. They, they, they buried him. He died. And so Jesus, Jesus is not saying, oh, this really isn't a big deal, right? I mean, you, you're kind of overreacting to this. You know, he's got a cold. He's got allergies. You know, he's, he, give, him, give him a couple of good days sleep and he's going to be back together. This is, this is no big deal. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about how sick Lazarus is. He's making a comment about the purpose. About the purpose of the sickness. This is not just about a sick man. This is not just about somebody laid up in the hospital somewhere or somebody laying in a nursing home somewhere. This is not about life and death. But what is it about? Because when I have people that I love that are sick, that seems to be what it's all about. It's all-consuming nights and days and the thoughts and the processes. It seems to be all about their health. It's not. He says, this is about the glory of God. There's something much bigger going on here than just Lazarus laying sick in, 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 in the town of Bethany. Something much, much bigger is going on. And what's going on has to do with the glory of God. Can we take just a moment within the context of the story that, that I'm sure everyone is well aware of how this all plays out. Lazarus is going to die and Jesus is going to come and resurrect him. But there's something much bigger going on when we have those times in our life of pain, of suffering, 
of illness, of times that I don't understand, of times that I don't enjoy, of times that I just want somebody to do something about it and end it? Could it be that the glory of, of the Lord is, is, is at play here? Could it be that God is trying to do something? Could it be that God is trying to teach something? Could it be that God is trying to show something and He's trying to do that through me and through you just like He was through Lazarus, even Lazarus' death? The story is about the glory of God. That's the whole point. You back up a few chapters here in the Gospel of John and you're going to find a man, not who got sick at at, at a very late age in life, but you're going to find a man who was blind. And the Bible says in John chapter 9 that this man was born blind. A baby. A baby who was born blind and lived all of his life blind. And in John chapter 9 and verse 2, his disciple says, Rabbi, why is this? Why are there blind babies in this world? Isn't that a hard question? I mean, that's, that, that, that's real stuff, and, and that's what they're asking. Well, well why is this? Did, who, did someone sin? Who, as a matter of fact, they just assume somebody sinned. Somebody caused this. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind? And listen to what Jesus said in John 9 and verse 3. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I don't know why every baby is born blind, but I know why this little baby was born blind. This little baby was born blind because one day in his life, once he had lived as a child, once he had lived as a teenager, once he was a fully grown man who lived all of his life not ever seeing the world, he was born that way because he was being prepared to show the world the very power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus says? See, I don't always think that way. I want to know why this is happening. I want to know why this is going on. And what Jesus says over and over is there's something much bigger going on than I typically think is going on. God is working. God is doing. God is serving. God is planning. Our God is bigger than we think He is. Why was this man, why was this man born blind? What, what, what was going on with Lazarus as he laid sick? And they, you know what? We actually know Jesus. And He's not going to do a thing about it because He says this is not about sickness. This is about the very glory of God. Paul talked about his own weakness and how God was glorified through his weakness. Let me tell you this though, if we're going to get the message, if we're going to see this thing, and and some of you understand that when you begin to see how God works in our lives and how God causes great things to come out of terrible things and how some of the most powerful messages come out of the most intense periods and trials of our life, when you get that, it's amazing, isn't it? But the only way you'll ever get it is you're going to have to be courageous. Because most of the time when life pushes against us, we just want to throw up our hands. Or we want to crawl under that pew. Or we want to you know, hunker down and we just want to shut ourselves off from everything. Because I just want to get out. I just want it to end. You see, Lazarus was in Bethany. 
And we don't know where Bethany is, or most of us don't, but I'm going to tell you, Bethany was in Jerusalem. Bethany was like a suburb of Jerusalem, okay? It was in the place that they'd just been run out of town because the people there were wanting to kill Jesus, which, by the way, it was a real threat because they ultimately did kill Him, right? So you want us to go back? You want us to go back there? Verses 8 and 10, the disciples said to Him, Rabbi, the Jews, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Is that really what... I mean, I'm not saying we should never go back to Jerusalem again, but it seems like we might ought to wait a few days before we go. We might ought to let them calm down a little bit, right? I mean, maybe next year, maybe next year on the great feast day we can go, but I just don't think this is the time to be going back. And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I'm not scared. Courage. Courage. We're going to have to have some courage to see ourselves through the trials of life, whatever they may be. Right? If I'm going to learn that thing about myself that I can't learn any other way, if I'm going to be a part of that great thing that God cannot work any other way, if I'm going to, if I'm going to see and be a part of God's will being done, I'm going to have to have some courage. When Esther went into that throne room and she was scared because she could die, she had to have courage. But it was that courage that enabled her to be a part of God's great plan. And so they're going to go back to they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And if you read in verse 16, the Bible says that whenever they actually went, that Thomas, Thomas, who is called Didymus, he said to, to all the all the disciples, right? They they pack up and they're going back. And, and what does Thomas say? Thomas says in verse 16, let us also go, that we may die with him. Right? I mean, I'm going to follow him because he's Jesus. And I've said I'll follow him anywhere. But I, but you, and you've, you've been with the boys and you know how that goes. We're going to do what we got to do. But this is not going to end well. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. They believe when they went back up there, they were going there to die. Which is going to take some courage if we're going to see and be a part of the very glory of the Lord. We can't really miss in this passage without talking about what's going to happen. They're going to a funeral. Right? I mean, Lazarus is dead. They heard that he was sick. They said, we're not going to go. They heard that he was dead, or they're about to hear that he's dead, and that's when they go. Verse 14, Jesus said, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You've got that phone call too, haven't you? You know what that feels like? Anybody remember what that feels like? When the phone rings and it's 2 in the morning and it's never good? Right? He's dead. Our friend, the one that we love, the one that we've been in their home, the one that we care about, the one that we shared stories with, he's dead. And then Jesus, not Wes, Jesus says something. He says, and I am glad. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Yeah, but Jesus, if you'd been there, he wouldn't be dead. Jesus, if you'd been there, you could have done something about this. 
Why are you glad? So that you may believe. Now let us go to Him. You see, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen and they're going to think and they're going to see in ways that nothing else could wake them up to. It's the value of a funeral. And nobody likes the funeral home. Anybody here like the funeral home? Lisa? Sorry. You know, nobody likes it. I mean, it's just not, it's just not a fun place to go. And when you're there, you mean you're crying and you're around crying people and, 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 and even, even in the best of circumstances, it's not fun. But it's powerful. It's powerful. Can I, can I make a suggestion that you take some time to go to a couple funerals? And go to give comfort and love and concern for those who have passed on. But, but, but can I make an even better suggestion? That, that, that you just go every once in a while and that you do it for yourself? This passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2, where Solomon in all of his wisdom says it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Because this is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Better to go to the funeral home than it is to go to a party. And every one of us says, I'd rather go to the party. Yeah, but you don't get much from the party. I mean, you have a good time at the party, but you don't get much from the party. And you can't go to the funeral home without having it right here in your face. Your own mortality. I'm going to die one day. That's going to be me one day. Spend time around people who are mourning. Just yesterday, we, we, we were at the auction for, for George and Mary, who, 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 who Carolyn took care of so well for so many years. And, and you know what I couldn't help but thinking? One day all of our stuff's going to be out on the lawn because it's just going to be stuff. I wasn't thinking about that until I came face to face with it. You go. You learn to appreciate your mama. You learn to appreciate your daddy. Because I don't know about you, I don't ever go to the funeral home and say goodbye to someone's mother that I'm not thinking about my mother or my father or my brother or my child or whatever it is. You think that changes the way you live your life? He says, I'm glad that this happened because we're going to learn something today. We're going to see something that you can't see any other way. It's powerful. It's valuable. And so Jesus and His disciples, they get up and they go to Jerusalem. But when He gets there, you know what He finds? He finds some people that are very disappointed. And what they're disappointed in is not just that their brother has died, they're disappointed that He didn't do something about it. Right? Mary and Martha... Verse 21, Martha says, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the very first thing I want to say. And she gets some spiritual perspective on it from that. But before I get into the deep spiritual perspective stuff, I want you to know that I know if you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. He goes on, he talks to her for a while, and then, and then in verse 32, he comes to Mary, and she saw him, and she fell at his feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you think they talked about it? 
Do you think they'd had a conversation as they set up with their, with their loved one, with Lazarus who was dying, about where is Jesus? And I don't understand and I love Him and He's the Lord and I'm going to follow Him, but I don't understand this. I don't know why He's doing these things or why He's not doing these things. They had the same exact words. I think they talked about it. Because we would have talked about it, right? Where's that doctor at? We talk about that, don't we? Right? I don't know why they're not doing something. They need to do something. You ever disappointed with Jesus? You ever think He ought to do something? You know He could do something, but He doesn't do something, and therefore, He's still the Lord, but I'm not too happy with Him right now. That's going on here, right? They're disappointed. Remember when the, when the waves were crashing and the sea was tossing them around and Jesus was asleep and what, what, is, what did His disciples ask? Don't you care that we're perishing? I mean, do you not know that we're dying down here? Do you not know what's going on in my life? Do you not know how I'm feeling? Do you not know how I'm hurting? Do you not know how I'm wrestling with these things? Well, yeah, Lord. You're supposed to be better than this. That's the whole reason that I called. That's the whole reason we sent the message. And what did you do? You did nothing. If you had been here, this would not have happened. Jesus didn't defend Himself. Jesus almost never offends Himself. It's kind of the amazing thing. Is he, he is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. He never, he never takes the time, well, you need to know this. and you need to know that. That's what we do. That's not what Jesus did. He just took it. He just took it. But then something happened as He observed and He saw, verse 33, He saw her weeping. And He saw the Jews who were coming to her weeping. The Bible says that He was moved in the Spirit and He was troubled. And He said, where have you laid Him? And they said to Him, Lord, come and see. And then in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Sometimes when I don't understand Jesus and I'm disappointed in Jesus and He's still the Lord, it's just what I want to know. I just want to know somebody cares. I just want to know that you care. Jesus cares. If there's anything that we see in this passage, it is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus had a, had a perfect concept of what was going on and what was going to go on. He knew what He was about to do. He knew that His friend, He knew He was dead. He knew He was going to raise Him from the dead. He wept. That's our God. When Jesus is on the cross and He's suffering for the sin of the world, what does He cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does he mean? He says, where, where are you at? How does God feel? Does God care? Yes. That's what the Hebrew writer tells us about, about Jesus. That's one of the reasons He came in the flesh, so that He could sympathize with us. Have you ever been to punish your child and it broke your heart to do it? I really don't want... I mean, it just kills me, to, but, I, but it has to happen. I want to heal. I want to give them exactly that, but, but I can't. And that hurts me. 
We, we laugh and we say, you know, Don, I know your mama always said, this hurts me and it hurts me more than it hurts you. And we, we laugh at that. But as a parent, you start to think, maybe it does. Maybe it does. He wept. Sometimes when I don't know if anybody else in the whole world cares. I've got tears in my eyes and I'm just crawling under that hole somewhere. I like to think about this passage. Because I know that Jesus cares. I know that His heart is broken. He weeps. He weeps because of what's going on in my life. Because my heart is broken. Because my life is hurting. Jesus wept. And so they go to the tomb of Lazarus. They go to the tomb of Lazarus and we see a great resurrection, do we not? They come there, they come there and the people say, Lord, by this time that there will be a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What do we say this was all about? This is all about the glory of God. This is all about God doing something that we didn't think He could do. Did they love Him? Yes. Did they worship Him? Yes. But they limited Him. They didn't see how even God could make something good come out of this. God says, you're about to see it. This is not just about Lazarus in a tomb somewhere. This is about our lives in the tomb somewhere. This is about our hopelessness that we face. This is about the glory of God and what He has done and what He can do and what He will do. And so the Bible says that they removed the stone and Jesus raised His eyes and He said... He makes a speech, right? Jesus is a preacher. Got to make a speech. Father, I thank Thee that Thou heardest me and I knew that Thou hearest me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that Thou didst send me. That's what He says to His Father. He's trying to make a point. He's not just trying to heal somebody. Jesus could have brought everybody from the grave if He'd wanted it, and it wouldn't have cost Him a bit. I'm trying to make a point to everybody who's around. To everybody who's around, I want you to see what's happening, and I want you to see by whose power it's happening. And when He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around them with cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go! He'd been dead for four days. Four days. Lazarus lived. Lazarus walked. Lazarus was resurrected. That's our God. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We serve a God who has power. Not just power over the little piddly things that get us all upset. He even has power over death itself. That's our God. That's the message that's going on here. And so because of that, in verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what He had done, they believed in Him. They believed. And there's nobody in this room who was there. There is nobody in this room who has ever seen somebody who's been dead for four days and in the tomb resurrected. 
You want to have some perspective on life? Go to the cemetery and command a body to get up. Just go do it some Don't do it when other people around that they'll think you're nuts. Okay? But you just go do that. When you're just out walking and you see somebody and you say, Arise and come forth. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. You can't do it. You go get the best preacher you know. And you say, Why don't you come out of the cemetery to me and command that? Command it. Nothing. You go and get the most godly person. Nothing. When Jesus says it, a life comes forth. Lazarus got up and got out of the grave. And, and, and you can have the whole other sermon about God calling him back from eternity and how Lazarus... I wish we knew. I want to find out one day how Lazarus felt about that. I don't know. But I do know that there are times when people feel like they're dead. And they feel like there's no hope. And God has and will do something with that. And when He does it, you can't help but see the glory of God. Some of you, many of you, are living testimonials to that very fact. You're living testimonials. To what? To how great you are? No! To the very power of God. To what God can do with the messes that we put ourselves in and the messes that we find ourselves in. To the things that we say, I just don't see how any good comes out of this. And everybody in the room has something like that. We serve a God who's big enough to make good come out of the worst. Miss Joyce says we serve a God who can turn the big C cancer into, into a big B of blessing. That's a profound statement. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that invites you. The God who loves you. The God who cares for you. The God who does not always work as we think He ought to work. He hardly ever works like I think He ought to work. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed to God, God, what are you doing? I don't get it. Right? I mean, if you consulted me, it wouldn't be going like this. But there it goes, like that. Because that's the way God wants it to be. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've got to the end of, of some road and I thought, oh, I see what He was doing. But I still forget. Don't forget. Don't forget about the very glory of God. Learn a powerful lesson. And wherever you may be this morning, you may feel like you are dead in a grave and you are never coming out. There's one that can get you out. And His name is Jesus Christ. You may feel like sin has such a grip on your life that you can never break it. There is one who can break it. And His name is Jesus Christ. And why didn't He come here? And why? I don't know, but I know He's here today. And He's offering you an invitation. An invitation to be born again in that watery grave. An invitation to come and take your sins and your cares and your concerns and cast them upon Him. That's the invitation. Why don't you come and sit at the feet of the one who cares and of the one who who actually has the power to change our life and our situations. Do it as we stand and as we sing.